Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You can't fix people's mental problems. You can't give them a quick solution. What you can do is sit with them and acknowledge how shitty it is. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, I hope you are staying well. I hope you are staying healthy throughout this tremendously difficult time for a lot of people around the world. I hope that you're looking after yourselves, you're practicing self-care, and taking good care of your loved ones. I'm very excited to introduce our next guest onto the show today. Her name is Mary Angela Abayo. She goes by the name of M. Am is a mental health advocate, she's a speaker, she's also the producer and creator of Faces of Fortitude, which is a project and movement in portraits that strives to lay foundations for those affected by suicide by providing safe-free, stigma-free spaces both virtually through social media and in person with appearances and gallery events. She's worked with people from all over the states, most notably Robin Williams' son, Zach Williams, so we'll talk about that on the show. I want to talk about her own mental illness and the effect that, that had on her life growing up, also after losing her brother over a decade ago to suicide and surviving her own severe attempt to take her own life as a teen, Mary Angela started this movement initially for her own self-healing. Her efforts caught fire online and she quickly saw a need for others needing a safe place to also share their story. I was introduced to Mary Angela last year actually, we were part of the same collective when we were constructing our own TEDx talks. Uh, my one was in New York City. Hers is in Ohio. She went on to produce her own called Celebrating the Survivor, creating a safe space around suicide. So we'll definitely be talking about that. But let's just get straight into it because it's an episode you don't want to miss. So let's go. Without further ado, I'm joined here by what I like to classify as my advocate, a partner in the space doing amazing work. She's based out of Seattle in the United States. Uh, I'm very fortunate enough for her to join me today. She goes by the name of M, but her real name is Mary Angela. Welcome to the show, Mary Angela. Thank you for having me, Sam. I'm happy to be here. I'm very grateful that you've taken the time out to, to be on the show today because you've got a story that I think every single one of our listeners are going to benefit from in one way or another. And I can't wait to talk about you know, your journey from your earlier life up until now and the impacts that I guess parts of your journey has had on your life and the trajectory as to where you're heading right now, given the time that we're in and given the great work that you've done up until this date. Yeah, it's been a it's been a ride. <laughs> it's been a ride, all right. So how, so let, let's just explain to some of the listeners how we met, how, how we connected. And I think it was through the beauty of social media. 
Yeah. I mean, we both were friends with and had a mutual connection with it, with Taylor and the Idea Collective. And we were both doing TED Talks around uh, a loss that we had had around suicide. And, you know, I think that everyone connects at pain, at some level of pain in our lives. But suicide specifically, I could be in a group of a party of people. And if I overhear somebody say the word suicide, or if I hear someone talking about a loss, I immediately gravitate towards them. And it's something that when I was introduced to you, I immediately felt connected. And likewise, it's amazing when you connect with someone that's doing similar work that comes from a similar area, where you automatically feel like you're talking in a safe space. It's it's like you don't even have to worry. There's no worry. It just the walls are immediately down. And it's actually incredible to me because I saw, especially in you, and I see this in so many suicide survivors and loss survivors, that there's this fire, this fortitude. I hate to use that word, not hate, but I, there's a reason I chose that word for my project is like this warrior that kind of comes up out of the ashes with like soot and blood on them and like still surviving and like shaking the ashes off them. Like those of us that have survived that, we see it in each other. And then these people are growing and doing these amazing things in their lives, all using that trauma as fuel. And it's so inspiring to me. Yeah, and absolutely is. And it comes from a sacred space and a sacred place, I should say, that really, while we're all, you know, in this realm of being, you know, whether it's suicide loss survivors or whether it's someone that struggled with a mental health challenge or still struggles with a mental health challenge, while we might not exactly understand how each other feel, we still come from a space of non-judgment. It's safe. It's open. It's welcoming. And it's it's filled with compassion and understanding to a level. Do you agree with that? Totally. Well, and not only that, but I think that there's an amount of cross um, narration and cross compassion that happens in this space where like you lost a good friend. I lost a brother. My brother's best friend and I are very close. He has explained to me how it affected him. And so I can relate to you in that way because I have spoken to him about the loss of his best friend and how that affected him. They went to college together. And so we can understand each other by listening to the different types of feelings, loss, and the cross conversation in this arena, I think is super helpful for each other to learn how to heal a little bit. And on that note, obviously, let, let's unpack a little bit of your own story. And it goes back a number of years to your own experiences, doesn't it? And, and re, you know, watching your TED Talk a few times, for anyone out there who, who watches TEDx Talks, uh, M or Mary Angela has been uh, an amazing speaker in there just recently. She talks around, you know, celebrating a survivor and creating a safe space. And I think it's a really, really important, a lot of that conversation that you've shared with the world for people to understand on this podcast platform, what it was all about, where it came from for you, and that flame inside of you that pushed you to a place where you wanted to say, hello, I'm going to make a difference. This is what I want to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. Right. I think, you know, as a teen in the 80s, I just aged myself there, didn't I? (laughs) I had such a hard time adjusting. I I was raised in a family that I didn't really fit, dealt with some abuse. I attempted to take my life after a sexual assault at 17. And it was a severe attempt. And not only that, but it was an attempt that my sister saw and my little brother saw, and they were there to find me. I honestly shouldn't have survived it with the amount of medicine and drugs that I uh, ingested. But in that conversation, my sister was old enough to know what happened. My brother was 11. 
we never talked about it because this was the Italian Catholic family we were part of. It was shameful. You didn't talk about stuff like that. I was going to hell if I talked about it. So we just, you know, your sister's just sick and in the hospital for a few days. And that's all it was. And looking back, you know, 15 years after that, my brother took his own life. And do I think I could have saved him? That's not something for me to answer. That's not a question anybody will know the answer to. But do I think a conversation about that darkness, about my experience could have helped him? Sure. Because I think during his last moments, if he would have known that there was somebody in the family that understood that and that had been there, maybe he would have reached out. And I think that put me into this spiral of trying to heal and throwing myself into advocate work and um, prevention work and AFSP and walks and all the things. And that wasn't helpful. Why wasn't any of that helpful? And why do you think you were gravitating towards advocacy work, doing things in the community when you were at a time of loss and struggle? Were you looking for answers? Was it that you felt guilty for what had happened? Like, I just want to unpack that part because I feel like that's very, very common. Yeah. And it's something that I can resonate with. I think there it was twofold. I think I was feeling very guilty. I was this sister that was the cool sister that talked to him about his drug use and 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 being cool and young and doing you know hallucinogens and like I was that cool sister and I had kind of had enough of him at that point of his life. He was a lot. He was a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. He was going down YouTube holes and zeitgeist and all of these things that I didn't understand. I didn't want to take time to understand. And every time I had a conversation with him, it was a loop and it was a lot and it was heavy and you had to prepare yourself. And so that last moment I had to contact him was the day that he died. I was traveling through his city and I made the conscious decision not to because I didn't want to have that conversation with him again. And looking back, I had to deal with so many years of therapy of that guilt and, you know, knowing that, sure, I might have postponed it, but I couldn't have stopped it. There were so many, there's so many layers underneath that. Um, And I think jumping into the advocacy work, I'm a little bit of a control freak, not sure if you can tell. And so I like when things are compartmentalized, organized in my life, whether it be emotions, work, fun, all the things. This trauma, they liken suicide loss to being in an airplane crash to your body. And I couldn't control my feelings. It was like swimming in the deep end of a pool and not being able to touch the ground. I just felt like it was very uh, frantic, the grief in the beginning. And I needed to get ahead of it and control it. And so I started going to suicide survivor groups, which was super helpful in the beginning. Very helpful. I have to note that. But after about six months, it starts to feel like you're picking off a scab of something that's trying to heal because there are so many fresh faces when you go in there of people that it just happened to and you relive that every time they tell their story. And I was past that at that point. So I had to stop that. I did a few of the walks, which is great to feel valid and solidarity, but I think that there's something inherently difficult about those spaces for me because it doesn't include everybody else. I need people to hear me that haven't experienced it. I know people that have experienced it hear me. We all know that we're there for each other, but it's the rest of the world is the reason why we have a stigma. What do you think uh, really effective ways that you've, I guess, 
worked through over the years i mean since since your brother's passing since going through your own challenges talking to people through you know faces of fortitude and understanding people's stories what do you feel on your journey is really making an impact when it comes to you know stigma and being accepted and understood and people listening without judgment and things like that i think that when i started faces of fortitude i didn't mean to start anything i just mm-hmm. wanted to share my story And I thought I'd take a self-portrait and put it out there and see what happened. And I really thought I'd take a few photos of my brother's friends. I really didn't think it would amount to anything. And then it exploded. And it showed me that people need that space. And they saw me use that space for myself. And they were like, can we put ours there? Is there room for us? And I was like, oh, there's totally room. Granted, this control freak in the beginning tried to take all of these stories. And I checked up on people. I did a lot more emotional labor than I should have. And it got very intense very quickly. And thankfully, my therapist who makes her money was like, hold up, you need to set some boundaries here because this is not sustainable. But for me, it was like, I was learning. I felt like I had hit this jackpot. A lot of people look at me and go, Mary Angela, your project is really heavy, but it's not. And let me tell you why. I feel like I've hit this jackpot of healing. I watch every single person. I've sat with 172 people at this point. And every person that I sit with has a very their own very unique way of healing, of processing their grief. And I make note of every single one. And every time I think I've seen it all of it, I meet somebody else that's like fascinating to me. The power of the human spirit is incredible. Mm, it's empowering. It's inspiring, isn't it? Especially connecting with, you know, over 170 you know, odd people, I think you said it really does go to show the there are common themes, I think, amongst a lot of people who struggle. But I'm the first person to say we don't understand exactly how someone feels, but we get an understanding of how they feel. And we can create a safe space for them to come in and share and feel like that they are on the same page as us and that they're not different or they don't feel abnormal and stuff like that. I feel, I feel that that's really important. So let's just walk through the work of Faces of Fortitude, how it actually works. So you've so you put up a portrait of yourself on Instagram. So for, for people who, who want to know, and we'll share this at the end as well, M or Mary Angela runs a, a, an Instagram page called Faces of Fortitude. And it's where individuals from all over the world, she travels to, especially here in the States, she travels to, takes portraits because she's trained in you know photography and, and the creative arts spaces, but she also sits with them and creates a safe space for them to share their journey and their story. And you've You've spoken and interviewed or had really, really deep, great conversations with so many wonderful, unique people from all walks of life. What does that feel like for you? Like when you leave those conversations and you, you've you've done the portrait and you've got the story, how does that make you feel? Oh, there's not even a proper word in the English language for it. You know, first of all, backing up just a little bit, when I started this, I was not a photographer. I'm a trained producer. I produce documentaries, movies. I had a 10-year-old camera in my closet that I did not know how to use except for shooting a few pictures of my daughter. And then I took a self-portrait and people started coming out of the woodwork. And I have just recently learned about post-traumatic growth, which is what my next TED Talk is about. And the fact that I used my trauma to better myself. I took online classes to become a photographer. 
I now can call myself a professional photographer. But the day that I took, if you go back and look at my old photos and look at the ones now, they're way better now. Self-trying, self-trying. There's no better way than doing it, especially when you're passionate about something. Right. And there's something about, I had a doctor come up to me at a speech that I did and he said, you know what you're talking about, your project, how you're self-trained, that's a thing. You're doing a thing. It's called post-traumatic growth. And I was like, what? I was mind blown. He said, it's it's actually a psychological effect from people with severe trauma. They psychologically train their mind to better themselves by using the fuel that that trauma and energy creates in their body. Think about how many motivational speakers you see out there that have had traumatic childhoods that have risen up out of these ashes and bettered themselves, become speakers. I'm writing a memoir. If you would have told me last year that I'm writing a book, I would have laughed at you. But I'm doing it. So I'm taking this trauma and I'm trying, and I know my brother is proud and I know that he sends his energy here. But with these photos, so I just, the last shoots that I did were in LA. And I'm not going to say that none of them affect me badly because some of them are very hard for me, but I've gotten to a point where I curate them so that I don't handle too much of one thing in a full day. So I can't handle a lot of people that have lost their brother or a lot of people that have lost somebody young, a child, because those are hard for me. So I know my triggers now, but the last time I shot in LA, there was a woman who, a young lady who I forgot her story. So I just plugged her in and I scheduled her. Because I don't want to remember too much of their stories because there's something very therapeutic about my honest, visceral reaction when they tell me in front of the camera. If you told me your story and I had never heard it, my traumatic response validates you and tells you how horrible it was that you had to go through that. And that does, that's heal. That's very healing. So she sat in front of me, this 23-year-old beautiful woman had lost her husband at 23, she had a child and she was seven months pregnant with their second child. And I was just like, oh, I was caught off guard. And I just remember starting to sob during her session. And she looked at me and she was like, I'm sorry. And I said, no, I didn't prepare myself. But you know what? I felt safe enough to sob in front of her because that was safe for both of us. And she said, I'm so glad. And I was sobbing because I've struggled with my partner's mental health and I've, you know what I mean? And so I was seeing that and I was, my partner's alive. For me, it's healing every single time. I almost feel like it's self-serving in a lot of ways because I get to heal every time with people. It's definitely said to have that effect too. And I think that's why a lot of people work in all sorts of spaces around giving back and helping other people because there is a, there is an in it nature that it helps yourself along the way at some stage too, you know? That's just part of the greater journey. And it's not the, you know, not the sole reason why people do things by any means. But I think there's really something beautiful to be said for, for anyone who might be listening today that's struggling with trauma or going through something really severe or has gone through something really severe in the past. I think it's really important to know that you've got the power to sort of channel it into something great. And I think it's really important that you socialize and spend your time with people who make you feel safe. So in your eyes, what are some techniques or strategies people can do to be safe? Like I know it's part of my TED talk that I did also around being the safest person in the room for someone to open up and share with you. But what are some ways that you think being safe or creating that safe space around suicide or or trauma that might help people speak up and, and seek the help that they desperately need? That's such a great question. You know, I feel like right now we are in, first of all, the world is 
very different right now and changing very quickly. And I don't know if it's ever going to be back to normal, but I don't know if it should be, honestly. Um, I feel like we, before all of this, and so I'm doing precursor virus, (laughs) we're a very fast-paced society. No one wants to sit very long in anything. And so for me, safety is someone holding a space. Our natural reaction is to fix things that are uncomfortable. And I think that people need to get that out of their heads. You can't fix people's mental problems. You can't give them a quick solution. What you can do is sit with them, avoid the urge to fix it, run away, you know, make it all better for yourself and sit with them for a minute and acknowledge how shitty it is. The best comment I got after my brother died, because man, you get so many bad ones. (laughs) You get so many people that don't know what to say to suicide, but man, the best one came from somebody that had also experienced it. And they looked at me and said, this fucking sucks. And I said, I know. Thank you. That's all I needed was for somebody to tell me this is horrible. And I think so many of us just need to be not validated, but for somebody to actually feel it and go, oh, Sam, you lost your dear friend. That is horrible. Has anybody told you that? And I think that right now we just skip to the fix and that's just not healthy. That's we're not processing. No, it doesn't. It's not truly listening to understand what's actually happening. And it's something that I've brought up on a podcast before is, it's not about problem solving. It's not about trying to miss, be Mr. Fix It. It's something that I had to learn from, you know, winding back the clock to the night Dwayne passed away. And I think it's something that a lot of people need to learn, especially this day and age. But it's really important. And I appreciate you sharing that part of your journey with us. And there's no doubt amongst, you know, all the work that you're doing, you know, with Faces of Fortitude, that your, you know, your TEDx talk around creating a safe space around, you know, suicide and, and things like that is making an absolute impact in the world. And, I, and I'm so grateful that we're able to connect because what you're saying is, is resonating so clearly with me. It just reinforces how cool it is to, to meet like-minded people that have been on a similar journey doing great things. And yeah, we're all part of the same team, I guess. Well, and I remember when I met you, I was like, oh my God, he's doing this rad clothing line. He's got this amazing relationship that he's so outward about just love and connection. And I feel like there are not enough of us in the suicide prevention arena that are sharing humanity. I think there's so many people with like formulaic, this is how you're going to be better. And this is how we're going to get through this. And this is how we're going to end suicide. Man, I just need a human. I need to see your downs, your ups, your love, your hate, your hard days, your good days. Like humans keep me alive, the human experience. If we rewind the clock, right, back to when, when your brother passed away, he was 26 years of age and he was at, he was at work at the time when it happened from what you've said. Um what would have been the one thing that you've learned today and through over the last X amount of years since since that happened in your family's life that you would have or maybe have done differently and not knowing this in the moment? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And, and we can't be guilty because I'm in the same situation as you. We can't sit here and we cannot beat ourselves up and go, I wish I should have did this. You know, why didn't I do that? Did I listen more? Should I have reached out? Should I have answered that phone call? Should I have made the call? Should, you know, all of that's irrelevant because it's in the past, right? You only knew what you knew in the moment of time given the information that you had. It's a famous line that Louise Hay says, knowing everything you know now and listening to everyone's journeys and going through this yourself, what would have been the, the biggest takeaway that you encourage people to do in the future? First of all, I think a lot of my second givings and processes growing up and decisions were based on tradition, culture, the Italian culture. And I just recently saw a quote that really resonated that said, tradition is peer pressure from your ancestors. And I was like, oh, yes, that is. And that's what I did. So I didn't talk about things because I was worried I was going to go to hell. I didn't I wasn't open with my feelings. I often did question authority and that was my detriment. I was always grounded. I was always seen as the odd child out. I was always the one that was going to be pregnant first and they would call me a slut and you know all of these things. And so looking back, I probably would not I would try to dig deep and find more courage to have those conversations, to tell, you know, I had a few family members that really loved me and were very supportive. And I never opened up to them about my feelings. I never opened up to them about what I was going through. And had I had done that, I could have built the courage to do the same for my brother. And I think possibly called him that day when I was sitting at the Atlanta airport. And I think that could I have fixed it? No. Could I have stopped him? No. But maybe having a lifetime of these conversations now and not letting your culture or tradition stop you from being a human with a heart and a soul and that connects to people. I think there's a point in time where tradition and family rules and morals have to go out the window because times change. The world changes. Very true. You just you nailed it. And it's the same thing with you know, stigma around male mental health, for example, or anyone's mental health. It's like this tradition of you know, fucking suck it up and get over it and you'll be right, mate. It's the same thing. And it's just like, they're the old ways. Times have changed. 
This is how things get done now. And if you don't like it, get out of the way. Get rid of the stuff that happened in the past because it shouldn't dictate the way that you you communicate your future because it could cost a life and it could change lives. And I think it's so important that you mention that. And I appreciate you sharing that. We're in this gender revolution right now that when someone says something about, you know, you throw like a girl or stop being a pussy, like I'm the first one to clap back at that. But not only that, like I am embracing my masculine side. I'm embracing the the sides of masculinity that I love and we all can. And so I think having this gender binary is so harmful in so many ways, not to just people that don't identify in one gender, but just to the, the genders in general however you recognize yourself, it's harming our mental health by trying to put people in boxes. It is. And it, and it's, it just affects so many people. You can't put a number on it. And one, one little word or one little smirk could be the difference between someone going, oh, I'm not speaking up or I'm not saying anything because this is what people are going to think of me. And it can take the smallest action in some people's eyes. It's nothing. But in the person who's struggling who's desperately sitting on top of the surface, ready to put their head above the water. It's just like a game changer for them. And it's like, I can't do it. Sam, you just nailed it. You just nailed the core of my talk that I'm going to give at Dartmouth is about body language and about how that creates a stigma and people don't realize it. And so it's like, I will have someone say, oh, you, you have a brother. He's not alive. What happened? And I said the word suicide and I had a woman when I was working at Creative Live look at me and go, man. And I looked at her and I said, oh, I'm sorry. Have you had suicide touch your life? Is that why you reacted that way? And she said, no, it's just such a hard topic. And I looked at her and I said, the way you reacted to that told me that it's not okay. It told me that it's too much for you to handle. And it told me that I shouldn't talk about it. And that is shame and that is stigma. And that is so harmful. So before you react to someone who is trying to find courage to talk, we have to think about our facial expressions, our body language. Like it's so huge. It adds, like you said, it could be the one thing that puts somebody over the edge. That's why it's really great seeing the work that you're doing. There's so many great people and organizations in the world doing amazing things. And I think, you know, there is definitely changes happening day in and day out. And I think we're making an impact. There's no doubt about that. I do want to ask though, as far as, you know, the projects that you do with Faces of Fortitude, I noticed part of your TEDx talk too, guys, so you can head over and watch that. It's called Celebrate the Survivor, Creating a Safe Space Around Suicide. Definitely check it out. Uh, Very, very moving, 13 and a half minutes. So thank you for sharing that with the world. I think it was amazing. Part of your talk, you brought up Robin Williams. And you brought up Robin Williams' son, Zach. Zach's been a great advocate for the work that you're doing. Uh, he's a big supporter. I know that he's coming uh, on your podcast at some stage soon. What was it like, you know, diving deep into that journey and uncovering that? Because I noticed you mentioned, you know, the suicide hotlines. You know, people were on hold for two hours across the United States on that day, and when Robin Williams passed away, and what the effect that that had on people. What was that like speaking to Zach about that experience? that you might might like to share with us all? 
So surreal. You know, I um, was connected to him through another podcast friend um, who said, you know, guess who I just had on? Maybe you want to reach out to him. And I was like, can you do an in, you know, introduction? He just basically asked him if he could share his email. And he messaged me and said, Zach said he's down to hear what you what you're off, you know, your project. And I was like, oh, shit. And I held on to it for like three weeks because his email because I didn't know what to say. I was like thrown off. I didn't know I would ever hear. And um, I kind of like three glasses of wine in, wrote him an email. <laughs> and he responded immediately the next day and was so lovely. And so I was so nervous going up to the whole thing. And um, we shot in LA and I had a dear friend that I was kind of bouncing my emotions off with. And I said, what if I say the wrong thing? My boundaries are different here because of media, because of you know things that are untouchable. I don't want to disrespect his dad's honor. And my friend said, you need to remember that the person sitting across from you is just a person that lost their dad to suicide. And I was like, oh, yeah, I need to take away who he is for a minute. Like, because at the end of the day, we both felt pain. And so we had this lovely conversation. Um, I made sure he was last in the day so that we had extra time if we need it. You know, there were moments where he was like, I want to share something off the record, like, because I, I feel safe sharing it here. And was very, like, I felt very good. At one point, he said, your brother seemed like he was an amazing human. And this whole time, Sam, I was keeping my shit together. Like, I was like, professional. But he was saying things like, you know, your brother sounds like he was an amazing human. He said, I think your project is extraordinary. He even said something, when this blows up, which I think it will, I worry a little bit about your heart because I think that the trolls will be mean and I want you to be protected. And so if you need help with that, when things happen, I will be there. And just very brotherly, very sweet. Then we ended and I got in my car and I packed up all my gear and I was like, cool. Like I did it. Right. And I started to drive and I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I did it. And then I start to sob and I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm actually not okay. Because this was such a pivotal moment in my project because I had someone who who had such a public grieving process acknowledge my brother, acknowledge what I had put into this, acknowledged that he felt safe. And it felt so important to me that moment. I sobbed. I called Ryan and my partner and I was like, I'm sobbing because it was so lovely and it was so wonderful and I don't know what to do with this moment. And he said, I know exactly what you need to do. You need to turn on the camera on your phone and you need to take a picture of yourself, of your face at this moment because it's really important that you remember it. And I was like, and it's this sobby, snotty, happy mess. (laughs) And I still have the picture because it was like that moment was so important. And it wasn't because I interviewed Zach Williams. It was because... I was able to humanize him, humanize us, and create this safe space. And I realized, I think I saw a trajectory for the first time for this. And like I said, he's become this friend now that like, if you need anything, or like on Facebook, such a great advocate for what we're all going through now with this virus. And it's amazing how this will connect so many of us that normally would never be friends. Very, very true. And I think it's just a testament to the great work that you're doing. And, you know, you should always be proud. And there'll be times there where it probably does get a bit tough and it does get a little bit stickier sometimes. And and I think it's important for you, especially in those times, to put, you know give yourself a pat on the back and know all the great work that you've done and the great work that you continue to do because there's no doubt that you've changed and saved one life. And you're doing your brother proud every single day. And I think that's 
that's something that you definitely got to grab and own wholeheartedly. So I think that that's amazing. I'm working on it. <laughs> it's hard, you know, when you've got this, when you've got this trauma that you're not benefiting of, cause I don't make money doing this, but when you've got this trauma that you are redirecting to create something else with, you have to be so careful. I never want it to look like I'm profiting off of people's pain emotionally, anything, you know what I mean? And so I always try so hard to walk a very careful line of authenticity, of kindness, but also with boundaries. You know, I've had to set some really stern boundaries for my own sake. And so um, it's a very tough line to balance. Mm, It is, but it's very important to stay Remain humble, stay honest to why you're doing it, stay authentic and, and have a very clear cut communication and transparency with the people that, you, that you're that you dealing with. And I think it's always going to go forward in that, in that regard, no doubt about it. You know, I just think that's the way it is. Where to from here, Mary Angela? What's the, what's the goals now and, and how are you handling lockdown? I mean, first of all, I sat with a friend at the beginning of the year and set my 2020 goals, and those are out the window now because of the coronavirus. So I think we'll just shift those to 2021. I am working on, like I said, my TEDx uh, that was just now postponed till next year because of this virus. So it's all written and done. Then a big exhibit here in July, it was postponed. It was supposed to be April. Huge exhibit. I'm doing my very first, it's called Faces of Fortitude experience. So it's not just an exhibit of my images, but it's a, I had a dream uh, a few months ago about doing something called Thousand Faces of Fortitude in New York. And so that was, I think I was seeing the future a little bit. So now I'm doing this Faces of Fortitude experience where people go into this maze of my images and they're confronted with large questions regarding their own mortality and their own darkness. And so as they weave through these faces, they're forced to ask themselves questions. And so we're building that for July. And then um, I'm doing a keynote talk virtually. This conference has moved to virtually. So it's in this month awesome. in April for the American Association for Suicidology, which I'm excited about. But yeah, I'm working on my images, book of images for Faces of Fortitude, which is a design. I don't have a publisher. I don't have anything. So I'm just kind of doing it in my own time, designing it taking forever. And then I'm writing my memoir about my life finally, because we got all this time. So between that and now just starting my podcast face to faces is what it's called. And it's just a podcast humanizing our experience that we're all going through right now, but specifically a space for people with mental health. Because I think what's happening right now, when you ask how I'm dealing right now with this quarantine, everybody's experiencing these emotions that we don't know what to do with. But People with suicide loss and mental illness have it on top of what they already have. And I don't think those that's being acknowledged and it's hard on people. And so I wanted to give people a space to discuss that. And so we're, ta- we're humanizing the experience in this, in this podcast series. I love that. I love the work that you're, you're setting out to do. I believe that this is a time where we can all regroup, recoup, and start working on the things that are important to us. I believe that it's certainly a time where we can make changes in our own lives for the better. We can certainly take time for ourselves to find that peace that's going to help drive us forward into the future. And, you know, no doubt that, you know, challenges like this will probably happen again in our lifetime. And that's the beauty of going through challenges is it, it equips you, makes you stronger, better, and more prepared for whatever happens in the future, I guess. What's a few tips and tricks before we finish up? And, and I want to find out where people can find you and how they can hunt you down and how they can maybe get involved in, in your projects. 
What's some tips and tricks that you might like to share with people from your own journey and your own experience about how people can live well? Maybe if people are struggling right now in silence that haven't had a chance to reach out to someone or as a mother, you know, you're a mother. I want to find out what that experience is like as a mother, how you're juggling this from time to time and how maybe you could support other mothers with any words of wisdom. I like to say that I am a mother that learned to mother opposite the way I was mothered. My daughter's my best friend. And so um, during all of this and during my parenting kind of journey, I've tried really hard to make sure to show her my missteps and show her my mistakes and humanize them and learn to apologize because that's something I was not brought up with. And I think that that has helped so much as a mother, but also now as somebody who struggles with anxiety and struggles during this time, I want people to remember that it's okay to sit in that place. It's so scary. Don't get me wrong, but sit in it and just remember you can't live there. Right now I had a friend and I was talking her through it, some anxiety the other day. And she was like, Mary I can't be inside anymore. This is driving me insane. How do I do this? We have to get ourselves out of that space in our head. And I think tactical things are really helpful for me. So what I do when I'm spinning in my head a little bit, I will get a glass of cold water, put a bunch of ice in it, take off my shoes, take off my socks. If I have a porch or I can go outside, I will sit or I will put my bare feet on the concrete. Or if you're just in your apartment, do the same thing, stand by a window, put your hands on the glass as it gets cold and like moisture on the outside. Close your eyes, feel goosebumps start on your arms feel your body temperature slowly is changing. Feel the hairs on your arms stand up. Take a deep breath. Take a drink of that water. Feel it go through like your whole body and change the temperature. And I guarantee you, your headspace is different after that. You've taken yourself out and you're learning that your body changes just as fast as your mind can change. And I think that if we can just take a moment and listen to our bodies and listen to ourselves and try to get ourselves out of that space, we can heal ourselves better than we realize. It's a perfect, it's a great little tool of mindfulness. It's really, 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 really effective. It works for me. And, 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 and that's exactly right. And we all have different strategies and tools and techniques and, you know, not everything works for everyone. And that's the beauty of speaking to people like yourself because we get a whole you know, bag of tricks and we get to try them. And, and if they don't work, we go to the next one and, and there's no judgment. It's fully acceptable. It's going at things with an open mind and an open heart and having no severe expectations because that's, that's when things sort of get out of hand. Where can people find you, Em? Where, where do people find you after the podcast? And I will, for anyone who wants to join the Facebook group, they are more than likely to join the uh, It Ain't Week to Speak with Sam Webb Facebook group, which is through our Facebook page, living.org, where the conversation will be continued. We'll be able to share with, with anyone who's part of the group insights or handouts or, or links to, to all of our guests' experiences. Um, so where can people find you? How are they best to track you down? Yeah, I think Instagram is my my first kind of mode of communication, and that's just at Faces of Fortitude. Facebook, we have a big community too, which is at Faces of Fortitude Portraits. I'm on Twitter, which just as myself, Mary Angela Abeo, which you can often find me in the evenings with some wine, politically discussing <laughs> things. And then facesoffortitude.com. 
which is a hub for everything. And the podcast can be found right now linked to all my websites, but also find it on iTunes called Face to Faces. I'm working on getting it on all the platforms, but you know, it's a process. It is, it is, but you will get them there, no doubt. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, that propel forward. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. To, I'm learning. I'm taking notes from you. That's fine. And I'm happy to help with anything, even, you know, podcast, un- unrelated to podcast, anything. It's about teamwork. Well, you're going to be a guest. Well, I'm looking forward to being <laughs> a guest. And I love, I love for, for people who aren't tuning into the YouTube channel right now and looking at this visually, uh, Mary Angela has a, has like a, a forest in, in her background. It's in a her jungle. Room. She's got like a jungle. <laughs> Um, I love the clean air. And I love the clean oxygen. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. I'm very grateful that you're able to share with me uh, and share with all of us some of your insights, your wisdom, some of your tips and tricks, your journey uh, with your brother, where, where to now for Faces of Fortitude, and I guess the exciting projects that you're working on for the remainder of this year. And I can't wait to connect with you again and you know go from strength to strength together. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. It's my pleasure. Keep living and uh, always remember, M, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please like, share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.